This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect. Hi, my name is Timothy Aquino. I'm the head of sales at Institute. We are an omni-channel retailer and tailor-made suits. What I love about retail is the uh, human connection that we have with our clients, getting to know their personal stories and then obviously making an impact in their lives with what they wear. From New York City, you're listening to Retail is Your Business, covering the intersection of innovation and business in the retail industry. My name's Rebecca Fitz from Warby Parker. I'm here, as always, with my co-host, Chris Hansen from Ignition One. Hey, Rebecca. Hey, we are here with Tim today. Tim, welcome to the program. Thank you for having me. Great. Thanks so much for joining us. Tell us a little bit about Institute. You're an Australian brand. Uh, Give us a little history and and the lowdown. Yeah, our origins are from Sydney, Australia, and uh, we are an omni-channel retailer that specializes in custom tailor-made suits at a price point which is palatable for essentially the masses. It's not reserved for the, I would say, corporate elite. We make that price point attractive to anybody who wants to buy a suit that is fully customizable to them. I have had the pleasure of being up to your showroom, which I think was, is it still just a couple blocks away? Yeah, it's just away? a block away, yeah. Okay, and you were looking for some physical space. But before we get there, there are some other players in this mm-hmm. category. How are you all differentiating yourselves? Yeah, I mean, the market seems to be quite saturated with a lot of different brands doing a similar thing. And I guess the market dictates that. So there's a lot of demand for the price point plus the in the age of customization guys want to really explore better ways to shop how do we differentiate ourselves and that that's a tough question i mean there's we are on par with uh, price point with a, a lot of other companies but we like to say that the service and the experience that each client that goes through that, those doors they're well taken care of end to end And that is the formula of success for us in repeat business plus referrals, as that's how we've grown organically. That makes sense, too. And, you know, some of your competitors are opening up physical storefronts, and Mm. I'm not sure if that takes away or or gives in the customer experience, because what I am feeling from your brand is that it's really, really intimate. It is, yeah. The showroom itself being located, not storefront, but you know, we you have to go into a building and then, you know, up five levels gives that intimate experience. And I guess that leads and paves the way for intimacy and, and community being built. Funnily enough, guys crave for community. And we try to uh, create an environment that they're comfortable in. They're not rushed in decision making. They're, I guess, clear headed in, in the sense that, you know, they, they can see what they can do. And having been to the showroom, it really is kind of a beautiful Zen experience. Yeah. It's, you're not being pushed around by other shoppers. I mean, when I went up, mm-hmm. I was like, we should hang out. We should. Mm-hmm. I don't drink scotch, but I can yeah. sit here and do that. You know, like so it, it really is kind of a, a beautiful, intimate, calm experience. Um, and I think, you know, again, it's not a retail storefront. So yep. you're, it, it's a showroom. So yep. that makes a lot of sense. I'm always fascinated by this. And I think there's something that but I could be being really stereotyping here. Mm -hmm. 
you sell to men right now only. So do you think that they want a different shopping experience? They do. Uh, I only draw from my own experience as a young corporate professional before I was in the tailor-made suit game and how not encouraging it was to walk into a space that you felt intimidated because essentially what that salesperson does in any regular retail front is that you feel judgment straight away. And that's just just how it goes. People judge you on, on what you wear and how you wear it. So there was a gap in the market in um, creating a space which was comfortable and which was just easy, an easy flow of, of the process of buying a suit. And that's that's where we're at right now. Yeah. Right. I feel like any any experience now catered towards men involves brown liquor. There like is, if um, you go to yeah. get your hair cut or shave or get clothes <laughs> or do anything involving men, it involves liquor. If Chris goes and up, the brown could, could he potentially that, have a cocktail? <laughs> well, that's the ultimate icebreaker. That's one of the first questions we ask anybody walking into the showroom, whether they're a female or a male, is what can I get you to drink instead of what do you want? You know, so we we break down that invisible barrier of of uncomfortability through liquor. Yeah, yeah no, I get it. I mean, it's like <laughs> it also loosens the purse strings. I yeah, mean, on well, the other end of it, too. if I walk yeah. into a There's store definitely. and someone serves yeah. me a glass of champagne, yeah. they, I probably went up fifty percent on whether I was going to shop. Yeah. I'm also curious. Um, are you finding other maybe shopping patterns or they could even be data points. I mean, I'll make this joke, but someone, and I think men have changed the way they shop now, mm-hmm. but that some men um, just do a, one shop a year. Like they wait until the underwear is disintegrating off their body and then it's it's time. I, I, we may or may That's not. That's literally my <laughs> shopping behavior. We may or may not have someone in the room yeah. who shops yeah. this way. So I'm curious because I'm, I'm really, I'm, blasting a whole 50% of the population It's here. a great, great point. Generally, guys are impulse buyers. It's either they make the decision to get something because they've worn a hole in their crotch, you know, <laughs> with their suit. And uh, the amount of times guys come in here or come into the showroom because of that reason, uh, you know, I've lost count. So how, <laughs> how we... Maybe this is why they need a judgment-free <laughs> zone. Go on. How I think over the last, you know, Almost 10 years I've been in the game of, of men's menswear and men's suiting. I've seen a shift in how shopping, especially with men, has been more embedded in the social. So pretty much everybody here, I'm sure, is on Instagram. They scroll down, they see something that they're inspired to wear and how relevant it is with them. And then they're a little bit more prompted to uh, take the action knowing there is a lead time with tailor-made garments and creating something that would improve their aesthetic yeah it's really interesting because i mean i just think we i think we hit on the the crux of of (laughs) of of demography here for retail and uh, for specifically men's retail one one it's the checklist like one brown liquor two there's probably leather somewhere in the showroom that has to like a chair or a yeah. couch or something. Uh, three are, you know, is it that season where you go shopping that one time a year and, and maybe four or three, three B is like, do you have holes in your clothes? Because yeah. that's, you're at that point. So how does that, like, how, how, how do you, 
how do you play knowing that? It's almost like you know, it's not seasonality per se, yeah. but it's like shopping habits that you have to align to. And is there a strategy around that that doesn't necessarily involve alcohol? Like, is there some other thing at play here for you guys? In terms of... Uh, how to go after yeah. that almost unicorn. I mean, there's obviously changing mm-hmm. habits, but knowing that that's still the majority of, of shopping behavior for men, like how, how do you handle that? What, what, what are the strategies that you use? Yeah, I mean, we, we go, and the way we, we market the brand itself is we have to be quite accurate and, and direct to who our target audience is. And LinkedIn and, and Instagram and Facebook are the places in which we invest time in seeking out new leads. Now, Yes, guys, uh, they're a little bit less inclined to just meander around seeing what what's available. They're, when they usually come into the showroom, they know exactly what they need and when they need it. Referrals and reorders are an integral part of our sales process itself. So making sure that there's a, a constant follow-up process involved keeps us fresh in their minds and just gently reminds them that this season is coming up you know if you have other suits being rotated out of your wardrobe this is what we have this is what you have to consider so so, certainly social which i love you said linkedin Mm -hmm. because not a lot of folks do but you're going after i know it's a a parallel like you'd automatically think b2c right and but for you guys it's actually linkedin makes a ton of sense because it's b2 it's not even B to B to C. It's B to C to B almost. Like you create a whole new. Yeah. Like... Absolutely, you're going after that professional. So yeah, yeah. Really I mean, it's interesting. It's such an amazing tool, given that you find the right way to go about uh, approaching clients or businesses on LinkedIn. I personally have had businesses reach out to me with masterclass events that we could go out to their businesses and teach how to dress appropriately or um, just the the etiquette involved in, in dressing in a suit or how to dress in a suit. And then that next level with B2C, with customers, it's a little bit more direct through that social, semi-social channel as opposed to that cold email, mm-hmm. which is what in the past has been has been done and what what's worked in the past as well but now we've had to sort of pivot with the way that we approach new clients right and technology is certainly an interesting driver i know we've talked to some luxury brands and there's always a little flashback of the black client book and you Mm -hmm. you know you give them a call Mm -hmm. um and it seems like you all are doing that but kind of on a different level hey you're swapping some suits out for the season here we are again yeah on a personal level. Yep. Yeah. So email, text. Yep. yep. Got it. Exactly right. Yeah. Really interesting. I'm going to back up a little bit. So mm-hmm. we started out, you're an Australian brand. Yep. You're here. Yeah. How many locations do you have? How long have you been here? We have been here for three years now, and we have one location with the intent to expand out to other states of the great country of America. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. And talk to us a little bit about your strategy there, because again, I found you, I'm, I'm female, mm-hmm. but or but you all found me because we were talking about physical spaces mm-hmm. and also how to kind of get the word out about the brand mm-hmm. to your particular audience, yeah. which is, you know, men who need to wear 
a suit to work? Yeah. First of all, it's establishing and having a a clear and coherent um, statement of who we are as a brand identity, which is very important. Like what is, it goes back to the question, what separates us from other competitors and how, what's a value add that we can give to a guy that historically buys off the rack? So to cut through a lot of the noise, yes, we need to be clear in our storytelling of who we are. And that is, you know, we provide Australian merino wool garments at an affordable price point. So through social channels, communicating that that story and then the powerful connections that we make in person with our clients, because we or I can never underestimate the influence and power that one client has in you know, causing a domino effect in us expanding to, you know, new markets. We've seen that in Australia as we're located in every city mm-hmm. in Australia. So that is, um, yeah, that's a, that's going to be a key ingredient. So word of mouth referrals, that's that's yeah. driving the business to some extent, or at least expansion, that still is a big, yeah. big part of the strategy. The best salespeople are our clients because they wear our product. They don't have to say where, they just wear it. And then... um they attract attention and then it just snowballs. Really interesting. And do you think um, when you physically go to other locations, there's the storytelling component? I'm sure you'll have some influencers already, yep. you know, in the market. Yep. Is the strategy to not do kind of the retail floor and do similar to what you're doing here? No, definitely the strategy and the direction will be having a retail frontage and What's interesting in New York, as opposed to what I've seen in Sydney, is that the retail frontage location is almost like a, an, they're selling an experience as opposed to the, the product itself. Recently, uh, I went to a workshop and there was a McKinsey study that showed that Gen Zs were more inclined to shop in person as opposed to online. Millennials have more of a propensity to shop online. And obviously baby boomers, they want to be in person and see and feel things, obviously. So yeah, just going back to the retail frontage part. Yeah, that's uh, it's a powerful tool in being able to communicate who we are, show the products, but also deliver an experience which is unique and different from that off-the-rack experience. So we're going to pivot from retail stores Mm -hmm. to a tradition we have here on the show where we ask a guest to uh, bring a snack, we break bread, we learn a little bit about them. Uh, Tim, what did you bring for us today? I brought lamingtons. It's a staple of my (laughs) Australian childhood. See, I saw that Bluestone Lane box and I had my own ideas of what was in there. Absolutely. But I don't now I'm curious. What a what? Yeah, Lamington. It's a hell of a snack, I tell you what. It's what you have after school at four PM just before dinner. Sweet or savory? It's a sweet. I was assuming yeah. that one. <laughs> so it's like a a sponge cake covered in chocolate and coconut oh my goodness Um, (laughs) it's very difficult to find here but bluestone lane do they have it at every bluestone exactly because now we're like i'm pretty sure they do from the way you just described it i think i'm probably gonna bluestone afterwards yeah exactly wow this sounds have you had a lamington before never okay (laughs) i'm dying to see this thing 
Oh my god, that's that's ridiculous. So I've been in Bluestone many many times, and I've never seen that because I probably didn't know to look for it. Yeah, it's like a it's essentially a pastry, but yeah, it's a, it's a staple of my childhood for sure. Nice. Yeah, I think they make those in my neighborhood. So they have the Bluestone Bakery. It's like a block away from my Can apartment. Can you smell the baking? Well, out? no, but they have a big sort of apparatus in there that looks like they're always. It, it, it kind of looks like the Keebler Elves making things. So. Uh, <laughs> You know, maybe they're making them there. All right, so we got to get something. Yeah, let me grab Go for it. Up next, we'll hear more about in situ's omni-channel strategy. Keep in touch on Instagram and Facebook at Mouth Media Network. And find prior episodes wherever the best podcasts are found. We'd love to hear more about, this is a trend right now, but starting online and then yeah. how do you take that experience and, yeah. and make it omni-channel? Especially with bespoke product. Like yeah. It just seems. Yeah. It's not, it's not like a, a Zara where you <laughs> yeah. just order straight. <laughs> it's it's the opposite yeah, exactly. of fast fashion. Exactly. <laughs> and that's what the, the two owners uh, discovered very early on. Their in, intent was to have an online, a purely online service that, that sold, you know, suits and whatnot. We quickly found out that the human experience, customer experience, and the online should go hand in hand. We have obviously bricks and mortar locations that lay the foundation for reinforcing the trust in the product, the service, and then the experience side of it with uh, going through that whole process of getting measured, customizing your own suit, and feeling the fabric. Beyond that process, once they get their suit, in store is that they are are now confident knowing that the measurements are, are spot on and they're they have access behind their computer to go at their own pace to reorder online because you can obviously design your shirt and your suit behind your your own computer we do and have just released this new service where we can send out swatches to clients at their request so that obviously helps out people who lives in, live interstate or away from, far away from our showrooms. And it just gives them that confidence that this is the fabric they're getting, they can feel it, and then they can order it online. It's yeah. almost like the true definition of omnichannel. It like, really I, I just think that, you know, it's almost omnichannel for most retailers is you can do something here or you can do something there. But right. I feel like for you guys, it's, yeah. you start here in brick and mortar because measurement and, yeah, that tactile sort of element yeah. is the experience, but then you can bring that online and have this yeah. sort of dual experience potentially. Yeah. And don't get me wrong, we, we still have customers that have started purely online and they've inputted their own measurements. And it is an easy, you know, 14-step process to, to input their measurements and our website guides them with videos on how to do it. And they just reorder online without ever seeing them. Yeah. It's like Warby Parker. Like I, I, I almost feel like that's the, it's a tactile experience. We probably have talked about this before. No single pair of glasses looks good on me. I can go through an entire sunglass hut, Warby Parker, Solstice. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Like there's not one single pair that looks good on me. And so it seems ominous yeah. to go online and pick something because I need to see it, feel it. And I feel the same way mm. with ordering a custom suit like i would have to get yeah. measured i would have to feel the yeah. material and so yeah there's obviously hesitation when 
you're spending upwards of a thousand dollars online. Like you need to have that reassurance, and that's why we have the bricks and mortar store where it almost justifies that that upsell. And yeah. you've talked about timing a little bit, and we're in such a instant gratification mm-hmm. mode, I think, right now as a society. So you go in, you do the experience. How long before your custom suit arrives? It's about three to four weeks. Okay. So that is usually in a guy's um, mind a little bit long because they want something that they can hold straight away. We're looking to shorten that dramatically in the next um, few years or whatnot. But yeah, three to four weeks is the the time frame. obviously factoring in getting the fabric and then cutting it exactly to you know the measurements of that individual person. I know that it is an intention for the owners to get it within about a week and a bit. Oh, wow. Um, and so you can imagine the logistical nightmare it is at the moment. We obviously need that back end to be a smooth running machine. The suits are made in China, but the fabrics are independently sourced as Australian merino wool. The story of the factory in China is fascinating in itself, where it's a city of its own, um, where they have their own universities and schools for the, the tailors that are over there. And so that's a story that, you know, we can unpack as a you know sustainable practice channel that we we like we don't want to be afraid of hiding because obviously there's a stigma for a lot of people being like oh it's made in china it's probably poor quality but i think if we break down the the stigma of that they'll see that it is an incredible process and and i think maybe people don't know um, also the the whole history i think it's some economics but it's also how well it's done so mm-hmm. if you're an american businessman and happen to be in China, you probably want to have something made for yourself while you're there. So you're kind of connecting all the worlds, it seems like. Yeah, exactly. So one of the main ways that a lot of businessmen a couple of years ago would shop for a tailor-made suit is that, you know, a Hong Kong tailor would fly in, they'd rent a room Mm -hmm. and they'd, you know, show all their fabrics. They cut the suit. There's anything wrong with it. They have to send it back. We eliminate that arduous process where that physical storeroom that you can see whenever you want. And then um, at that same price point, we're able to deliver a, a product that, yeah, is right on par with that. Yeah, but I, I think that's that's part of the mystique of it. I, I do think, I mean, maybe this is different because of what it, you know, the specific nature of the product, but, you know, it is Hong Kong tailor. Like when I think of, I think of two if, if I'm going to have a tailor cut my suit in, in, you know, 10 years ago, it would have been an Italian tailor or a Hong Kong tailor. And I think that there is this culture, almost like an artisanship, maybe that's not a word, but, uh, you know, almost an apprenticeship that would be around those two cultures with respect to suit making. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I don't think there's, there should be a stigma if there is one, because that's that in my mind, I'm thinking like, yeah. that's what the experience was. It is. And I still get the emails. I probably get two a week yeah. from someone saying, my tailor is in town from X place. Yeah. And would love to stop by and, you know, and it's like, wow, that's that's still, that feels like so 1960s, And 1970s. I think there are a couple of famous movies with that exact scene that you played out where, yeah. you know, the tailor yeah. comes in. Yeah. So I, I think for online to offline and, and even omni-channel, 
there are always challenges on all the different platforms. Talk to us about, you know, you're here physically, you're mm -hmm. as dapper as can be, mm -hmm. um, about the online selling versus the in-store selling. The online selling, obviously, you don't have that physical image of me in a in nicely dressed suit. So I guess the approach we take is is how do we get straight to the point? Because obviously these guys are inundated with emails from a hundred other tailors. How do we cut through the noise? And usually that's through the the visual aspect and the storytelling of who we are. I remember maybe a couple of years ago, well, just starting off, how when I would generate new clients, it would be through the channels of cold calling, cold emailing, and door knocking. That is almost an archaic way of looking at, it's almost like a snake oil salesman, you know, like <laughs> you knock on the door. But you know what? Like it worked a lot of the time because I was there in person. They could see yeah. me in a suit. So I would I would literally, you know, go to a an office, knock on the door, a building like this, and um, just ask if, if anyone is uh, looking for a new suit. And I'd have my suitcase full of, full of fabrics and it is an effective way being in the line of and the industry i mean we're selling an image we're selling right. aesthetic and if, if a guy can see it firsthand then that's one step closer so that's somewhat of an effective way to sell in person but the online aspect is is a little trickier in the sense that how do we cut through the noise mm -hmm. how do we create um legitimacy and credibility through a written form and what we've seen been effective is uh, through editors and articles that have been written about us guys are, are making more informed decisions of where they want to spend their money is, is there a brown liquor for online is there something that like gives you the taste gives you the experience online is there something aspirational you guys are trying to get out there or is it just this is going to be by nature a, a less personal experience online like how do you bridge those two channels yeah uh i think the way that we're bridging it at the moment is being able to be less sales salesy in in the approach we are talking about topics which are relevant to men so like what are the suit sins that some guys make whether it's a having a fat dad wallet in their pocket or by the way, that's my honestly i, I swear to you <laughs> and I, I have it right now with this pair of pants yeah that's my biggest challenge with suits. I, I buy a suit and I buy an extra pair of pants because I always wear through the back pocket Yeah, because I have a Costanza wallet. Yeah. It's, it's just like it's just habits like that that people, you don't know what you don't know. And we are looking to re-educate and um, spread the knowledge of what is deemed acceptable in the tailoring world and whether you like it or not, people see that. Whether If you don't notice it, I guarantee you, someone that you will meet, the first seven seconds of them meeting you they is, um, is <laughs> be able that's to take what their they eyes say. Off yeah, yeah. No, believe me. Well, and it's interesting because I do think men are looking for solutions. And um, it's interesting you mentioned selling through, you know, editorial, which, mm. I, you know, PR has changed so much yeah. with social media. But what have been some of the, the best, you know, editorials that yeah. have really moved your... Yeah. Forbes is, is definitely one of them. A lot of corporate guys read read Forbes and they um, are actively looking when they start the search for when they type in a tailor-made suit 
that is uh, one of the articles that pops up. And thankfully, one of our Forbes editors that wrote a story on us was very thorough in the, the whole experience and how we differentiate from other brands. And that was um, strategic in the, in the sense that we were able to, you know, tell us uh, our identity and our story. Is part of the strategy, I mean, you talked about it a little bit, but is part of the strategy going after the customer who buys off the rack versus people who have bought custom suits before? Like, which, is it more going after that larger set of, I've never done this before mm -hmm. and, and you should be doing it? If you're going to spend $600 in a suit, you might as well yeah. spend a little bit more to get something that fits you because fit is so important. Yeah. Automatically, our price point demands that sort of attention from the masses of those who generally buy off the rack. Price points usually between four ninety nine to eight ninety nine. Someone who's buying off the rack is already paying that much plus alterations on top of that. But the unique thing about our location, the way we're set up, is that we're able to cater to those who have specific preferences in how they want to design their suit. And that's something that is almost um, not characterized as well, but because it seems like guys are just, they go with whatever. It's often the case that guys are a little bit even more pickier than women. I'm telling you, they, with the buttonhole stitching, whether they want their monogram in, in it, the size of the lapel, all of these things um, add up in that experience that we want to provide. And there is a niche market for guys that know what they look for and we provide that that service. I get it. I mean, I yeah. it's, like, it's like glasses. Their yeah. suits don't fit me well. There's a couple of suit brands, designers that fit me well because they tend to be more Nordic slash <laughs> yeah. Central European, yeah. not the more Italian... And what's, what's interesting to me is that we get guys that have historically never gotten a tailor-made suit, but they almost always know that their stuff doesn't fit right. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like this innate, like... They know they need crazy. to There's your market. Yeah. And I also was going to say, if I only shopped once a year, I really care about some of those details as well, or yeah. you're, the first time you're doing it. Yeah. Up next, we're going to learn more about Tim as a person. to laugh do you love great interviews with a lot of heart do you like good stories do you like to hear about life well good news because if you listen to a show called funny people talking all of that happens right danielle all of it happens every single thing you said on that list and more hey, well elsie does any of it not happen it all happens Come on, Elsie. Okay. It right. really happens. Okay, well, you should join us on Funny People Talking on Mouth Media Network. You can find us anywhere you can find a great podcast. And I know it's true because these people loved it. <laughs> Only for a short time while they were listening to the show, Then Life Sucked. Listen to Funny People Talking. got a lot of people in this room who are very pro-Australia. I don't know why you'd yeah. be con-Australia, but uh, tell us a little bit about growing up in Australia. Yeah, I grew up, for those who can't see me, <laughs> I am Filipino heritage, but I was born and raised in Australia in uh, what would essentially be called as the sticks. So <laughs> it's almost like 
country. I, I grew up with friends that had acreage of land. And so we would do four wheeling and ride on donkeys and whatnot. <laughs> so You were a rural kid. Wow. Well, yeah. Okay. I was one of maybe three Asians in my, in my school. Okay. Yeah. So it was, it was very much a, a different upbringing from what you see physically to, you know, what I was really brought up in. So yeah, that's, that, that's my story with, with being brought up in Australia. Yeah. I think you need to meet my wife. She grew up in upstate New York. She's Filipino. And oh, great. She was one of three Asians in her town, too. So <laughs> she, she, I'm sure you have comparable stories, maybe not <laughs> involving I'm, I'm ATD. I'm Indian, and I grew up in upstate New York, um, yeah. where it is almost 100% yeah. you know, Caucasian. So it's interesting. Yeah. There was, there was an Air Force base and a college, so there was a little diversity, but it's interesting. Um, so... What do you appreciate about New York being kind of a, a country kid? Yeah, it's definitely two different cultures where space is uh, <laughs> limited here. It's not. As I can see. <laughs> What's funny is uh, I, I went back last year to see, you know, my family and living in a, a studio here in New York and going back to my parents' house, I, I walked in. I was like, this is bigger than I remembered it to be. <laughs> It's a mansion. <laughs> Usually it's the opposite, but only in, for when you live in New York right, is, it, exactly. is it, oh, this is huge. And yeah. I found myself too, now that I am in such close quarters, if I go and I stay in a bigger house with my husband, I'm like, where were you? And yeah. it's like, I just was in the other room. <laughs> I mean, the possibilities are so limited yeah. in New York that you're like, oh. So yeah, the difference, I guess, uh, living in these two separate cultures was, um, it wasn't too much of an adjustment. I think that there's a couple of big misnomers that New York has. One being people are mean and not nice. That is not true at all. One of the first impressions that me and my uh, my partner had was how nice everybody was, how willing they were to open their doors and their networks to you to help you out. And I think that was um, a huge blessing coming here. I think impatience is misconstrued as rudeness, but it's not. It's, or, just, or it's anger. just speed. Yeah. Yep. It's efficiency, <laughs> which people it. misconstrue as yeah. rudeness. Yeah. Well, see, I was going to ask you your your other comfort, comfort food from Australia, but now i got to ask you your, your favorite Filipino comfort oh, food. Oh, gosh. You would know about that. I'm you? curious to say. So. Uh, All right. So, obviously, growing up in a Filipino household, we had Filipino food on a regular basis. I used to get so sick of it but now being away from it it is something i crave for so number one kare kare i don't know if you know that oh, yeah i definitely do yeah it's a peanut butter like base with like beef and it's good it's wow fantastic. Well, food, like by the way together <laughs> is amazing not healthy <laughs> it's not healthy <laughs> you, you go to any filipino party the spread of food is like brown. It's yeah. all brown. It's brown, <laughs> brown and oily, and and, and pork based yeah. mainly. But it's so good. It is so good. It yeah. Sounds delish. Yeah, I yeah. My my kids have grown up now with Filipino comfort food. So you know, rice and eggs and Vienna sausage or some sort of canned meat is 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 par for the course. Oh, yeah, that's a, it's yeah, good. It's flashback, right? Uh, it's, it's meat, salt, rice, eggs. Oh, one thing, so one thing which I have to keep in mind is uh, both my grandmas have got diabetes, so uh, it just it's it's fairly prevalent. It's pretty, it's, yeah, it's pretty common. It yeah, and, and 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 heart disease too. Unfortunately, because right. yeah. the food is not light yeah. on it's not light fare. Yeah. 
So really quick question. Yeah. French cuffs? No French cuffs. What do you do? I mean, obviously you're in yeah. French cuffs today, but what's mm-hmm. what would you recommend for most men? Go French cuff or no? I would, depending on the the situation. So if you're, you know, going to a wedding and whatnot, French cuffs is the way to go. But I've seen a 50-50 split of, of guys who go French cuff or, or no French cuff. There is no hard rule. It's tied back to your identity. So when we create a garment for someone, I don't want to impose my preferences on someone who generally is comfortable wearing no cuffs. So sorry if would, I didn't answer. No, the would you? No, no, you so, did. but I think you would highly recommend someone owning a pair of cufflinks at the very. Highly least. recommend. Yeah, it's just one of those subtle flexes that you've put attention to detail in what you wear. So there's there's definitely subtle flexes in in a tailor made garment, like functional buttonholes, just the way the garments made, like stitching on the lapel. French cuffs is an extension of that. Anybody walking into a room and they see someone in French cuffs, they know that he has invested that 30 seconds worth of time in their morning to, to put it in. And I think that says a lot. Yep. Subtle flexes, subtle muscle I love flexes that. within a tailored yeah. suit. Wow. Yeah, I love so that. It's that, I do too. It's that. I think it's a marketing message on I the know, site. Exactly. Yeah. I was like, just to wrap it up, is yep. everything sans the shoes from in situ? Aside the shoe, aside from the shoes, everything it, is from institute. Socks included. No, not socks. Okay, not socks. just get, but and again, mm. impeccably yeah. Uh, yeah. put together here. Uh, me, Rebecca. <laughs> you always are too. I just don't need to mention <laughs> it all. every time. <laughs> but as much as like I can be so well dressed, it is the the character of the man in the suit that finishes it off. I think is uh, it's important. That's why I enjoy what I what I do is is I get to know people's stories and see beyond that layer of, you know, the, their garment and what they wear. That's so interesting. interesting. Cause I, and I bet it's a real, um, a little bit of a confidence boost or a change, you know, between yeah. when you tell the story of your suit and then you put it on. Yeah. really interesting. I just recently had a client say to me, it's because cause he's just revamped his wardrobe with tailor-made garments. It's because of the way he's dressed that he met his fiance, oh. yeah. So the, the power of dressing well. Tim, if people want to reach you, what's the best way? You can visit me or visit our showroom at Institute on Twenty Seven West Twenty Fourth Street. Our social handles is at Institute. That's I N S T I T C H U. And uh, yeah, come give us a call. Give us a visit. Chris Hansen from Ignition One. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Rebecca. My name is Rebecca Fitzmorby Parker. Tim, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me. It was an enjoyable time. It was great. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time. This has been Retail Is Your Business, produced by Mouth Media Network. Copyright 2019. Your brand message can be on this show. Email us to find out more at podcast at mouthmedianetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is Mouth Media Network. Amplify and connect.